Good morning, guys. Anybody else turn a little green at the gills when they saw that? Yeah, that's a little too red for me. Uh, my name is Evan. I'm the worship leader here at Epic, if you're new with us. And every once in a while, they let me get up and share. And so thank you for indulging me this morning. I appreciate that. I love the opportunity to be able to share just a little bit. And we are in the middle of a series called Keeping Up with the Joneses. So we're looking at the fact that we all kind of compare ourselves to other people at least every once in a while. And if I remember correctly, last week, Tim mentioned something about me lip singing to him. Anybody else? I, it stuck with me. I don't know what it was. Something about it stuck with me. Um, there is some lip syncing going on at Epic, but it's not what Tim would have you believe. Look at what I found out this week. <laughs> now, if that's what it takes to keep up with Tim Jones, I'm not good for it. It's not going to happen. He can have it, and I'm okay with that. Uh, the reality is we all compare ourselves to people at some point in time. We have this nasty habit of needing to do it, of needing to compare ourselves to others. Um, we all land, live in this land of Ur. Tim talked about it last week. We all want to be smarter, prettier, skinnier, talented than the people next to us. It's just the way we're kind of wired. And so Tim left us with this great idea last week because it doesn't do us any good to compare ourselves to each other. So he left us with this key point. And does anybody remember the key point from last week? No there it is, right from the back. That was my wife. <laughs> Gold star. Um, there is no win in comparison. We put that up on Facebook this week and like two or three different people mentioned me and said, you know what? I've been repeating that to myself in different situations in order to keep myself from getting into that comparison thing. And so what Tim talked about last week obviously struck home with a couple of people, which was fantastic. So this week, we're going to look at the question Tim left with us last week. So there's no win in comparison. And then he said, find out what your mirror is. What is my mirror? In other words, what am I using or who am I using as a reference point to find out if I'm okay. Because we're all wired this way. We all want to know, am I doing all right? We want to check in. We want to see, is anybody looking up to me? Am I keeping up where I need to be? And so we have these multiple reference points that we use. It could be our parents. It could be our kids. It could be siblings. It could be people we work with. It could be best friends. It could be significant others. Growing up, my dad was an amazing provider for our family. He had a great job, he worked really hard at it, and he made sure we never wanted for anything my entire time growing up. And I took that to heart, and I still appreciate that example he set for me because I think it's very important that I provide for my family. But early on, instead of looking to provide for my family, what I looked at was trying to compare myself to where my dad was. And it's a whole lot harder when you're 18, 19 years old looking at your dad and his 30s and the way he is making money and his financial situation going, okay, I need to be at that point. And it just doesn't ever work out. And so it took me a long time to figure out that it was more important that I do what God had for me than to try and keep up with my dad. So all of us have that person or those people or those things like our GPAs, our finances, our cars, our houses that we use as reference points to say, am I doing as well as I should be doing? And we all do it because of a voice that's in the back of our heads. Every single one of us has this whisper, and it says, I wonder if I'm okay. Am I doing all right? I wonder if she is going to always love me. 
I wonder if he's going to stay by my side no matter what. I wonder what my kids think about me. I wonder what my parents think about me. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. And that voice causes a huge amount of anxiety in our lives. Now, Christianity offers an answer as to where that voice comes from. And we're going to look at that a little bit today. It also offers us a way to get out of comparing ourselves to the people around us. So if you're a Christian this morning, if you're a Christ follower, what we're going to talk about today may be something you've heard before, but I hope that God will reveal it to you in a brand new way that's specific to your current situation in life. And if it's new information with you, then I hope you'll take it to heart because what we're going to talk about today has the potential to absolutely change our lives from the inside out. If you're not a Christ follower today, and you're going, what in the world does this have to do with me? You're here because you saw a bunch of cars in the parking lot, or maybe your kid really wanted to go to Pipeline, and you've got to have a place to sit for an hour. Then what I can say is this. No matter who we are, no matter what we believe, I guarantee that every single one of us at one point in our lives, or at some point in the future, is going to ask, am I doing okay? Am I all right? Am I okay? Not just how am I doing, but am I as a person Am I okay? And Christianity is explained in a lot of ways, right? That we're trying to be better people, that we get to go to heaven, that we get to carry the name of Jesus in, in the name Christian. But Christianity is so much more than that. And today we're going to look at what that so much more is. So we're going to be in Galatians this morning. If you want to turn there in your Bible and follow along, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, you can grab one from any seating section uh, in the back there. No one will point at you if you get up and go grab one, I promise. They're all looking this way anyway. Um, we're going to put everything up on the screen, so if you want to follow along that way, that's fine as well. So this letter that Paul writes, he writes to this group of believers who he started a church in Galatia, which is a province in what is now southern Turkey, about 25 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he went and he started this church in his first missionary journey, and he was starting it for a group of people who were non-Jewish believers. And that's going to be important because most of us are non-Jewish believers. So the fact that Paul went on these missionary, church, missionary journeys, started these churches, is very important for us because that's why we get to hear the gospel. And so he has this group, and they're beginning to compare themselves to the Jewish believers around them and going, hey, we're not doing anything like they're doing. We say different things, we worship in different ways, we talk about different stuff, so are we okay? Does what we do mean anything? Does my faith mean anything? And so Paul writes to Galatia with that in mind. And he writes specifically to say what the death and resurrection of Jesus means for non-Jewish believers. And in the process, he talks about this comparison idea, and he gives us a great clue on how to get out of this habit. So again, we're in Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 4. And Paul writes this, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. And I want to stop there for just a minute, because this phrase, under the law, is not a phrase we use very often. Unless you're a lawyer, or maybe one of our sheriff's deputies, this isn't something you use in everyday language. It's biblical. But it's extremely important to what we have to talk about this morning. It's kind of the central point. So what Paul says is this. We are all born under the law. Whether we acknowledge it 
whether we like it, we are all born accountable to the law of God. It works something like this. I was born in South Carolina, which is part of the United States, which means I was born a U.S. citizen. I had no say in the matter, right? It doesn't matter if I think it's fair or not. It doesn't matter if I like it or not. I was born a U.S. citizen, and with that comes all of the advantages and disadvantages of being a U.S. citizen. And there are both. There are a lot of advantages to being a U.S. citizen. There are a couple of not great ones, like the fact that I got to learn one language growing up, and everybody I talked to in Europe knows like five. And so there are some disadvantages as well. But that's the way it works for us in being born under the law. Whether we like it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, we are all born accountable to the law of God. And we read about it in the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. But beyond that, it's the law of God that is written inside of us, in our very DNA, in the fact that we are people. We know the law of God. And, and let me tell you how I know that. I have terrible allergies. When I was growing up, I was a bubble boy. Like, I couldn't be around anything. I was allergic to cats so badly that when somebody would go and visit somebody else with a cat, and not even touch the cat, just be in their house, when they came back home, I had allergic reaction to their clothes. So I was allergic to cats. And along with that allergy came a strong dislike of cats. I won't say hatred, because some of you like cats, and I don't want you to not like me. So uh, I had this strong dislike of cats growing up. But I didn't go around kicking every cat that I saw when I came across it. And I didn't need anybody to tell me, dude, you really shouldn't kick kittens. It's not okay, right? Like, I'm a human being with a soul, and so I knew it was just not a good thing to do. Or how about this? You're going down the grocery store, and you're walking down an aisle, and in front of you is a mom and her kid, and they're having some discussion. You don't know what it is. But the kid turns around, looks at his mom, and gives her some lip. And all of us react the exact same way, right? We all go, ah, that's not okay. They really shouldn't do that. And why is that? Because we all have this sense that kids should treat their parents with at least a certain level of respect. Now, we can attribute this to the way we were raised. We can attribute it to our culture or our social norms. But Scripture teaches that this is the law of God written on our hearts. So... We're all under the law of God, and with that comes something else. We're all broken inside. There is something wrong with me, and there is something wrong with you. And I'm a little late on the spoiler alert. I apologize. I'm the first person telling you that. But we all kind of know, like deep down inside, something's not 100% right all of the time. If we actually are honest with ourselves, that's sort of how we feel. And so... That comes from the fact that we all have a broken relationship with our Creator. We were all born under the law. We were, broken, we were born into this broken relationship. And so we have Creator and creation. And as soon as sin enters the world in Genesis, that relationship is completely broken. There's this gap in between. And we can do absolutely nothing to bridge the gap. And it's a terrible, terrible feeling. And we don't know exactly what to do about it. And that's where that voice begins to appear and that anxiety begins to come from as we ask ourselves, am I okay? And we, what we do is we try to take that brokenness and we try to make it presentable. 
We try to put makeup on it. We try to make sure that people don't see that side of us. And when that doesn't work, we begin to compare ourselves to the people around us who we think have it all together. Because maybe, just maybe, if I can put somebody up on a pedestal and be just like them, then I will be okay as well. And so we tell ourselves, if I can be just like so-and-so, if I can just accomplish this, then I'm going to be okay. And maybe that voice will go away from the back of my mind. Now we end up finding out that no matter who we put up on that pedestal, they deal with the exact same issues that we do. Everybody asks the question, am I okay? I love golf. And a lot of people don't completely love the sport the same way I do. If you've ever played golf and you hate yourself because of it, you'll understand why. But golf is one of these sports where you tend to just go up against yourself and the course. But you can't help but look around at the other people who are playing a whole lot better than you are. Now, when I got into golf, Tiger Woods was just showing up on the scene. And so everybody wanted to be like Tiger Woods. So I would go to the range and I would do my best to craft my swing just like his. I would address the ball the same way. My pre-shot ritual looked an awful lot like his because I figured if I can be at least similar to Tiger, I will never be at that level. But maybe my golf game will get at least a little bit better. And then we also kind of thought that he had everything else in line too, because that's what was giving him the drive and the focus to be able to do as well as he was on the course. Now, we all know that that wasn't the case. When you pulled the curtain back and you looked into Tiger's personal life and it exploded, everything went with it. And what everybody found out was that Tiger struggled with the exact same things that all of us do. So the unfortunate reality is that no matter who we put up on that pedestal, if you were like fill in the blank, if you accomplished fill in the blank, you would still ask, am I okay? That is a little bit depressing. Fortunately, Paul doesn't leave us there. He looks at that creator-creation relationship, the break in between that gap, the fact that nothing we can say or do or accomplish can resolve it, and says there's more to the story. There is a way to get away from the insecurity. So let's look at that verse again, um, verses four and five out of chapter four. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. So Paul writes, God, through Christ, made something available to everyone, all of us, because we were all under the law. And so he says, what God did is available to every single person. And this redemption is a financial term. And so Paul says, when you put your faith in Jesus, what God does is he takes care of the debt that we have incurred. So the reason he looks at it financially is because of this. Creator, creation, gap in the middle. And in that gap is sin. My sin, your sin, sin from the very beginning to all the way at the end, it piles up into that gap. And God looked at that and said, there's nothing they can do about it. 
Nothing they can say, nothing they can do, nothing they can sacrifice will ever cover the debt that is being built up. And so God says, okay, I'm going to take care of this. And he makes a transaction, which is what this redemption is, on our behalf. And he writes a check by sending his son to live as a human on this earth, to die, to come back. And he says, okay, I'm going to write the check. I'm going to take care of the debt. And when you put your faith in Jesus, the debt disappears. And we are redeemed. And it's huge. But it's a transaction. And it feels a little distant. It feels a little cold. And Paul says, that's not the end of the story. Let's finish up verse five. He says, he does all of this. He does the redemption. He makes a transaction so that we might receive adoption to sonship. sonship. He does it all with a means to an end. What he does when he sends Jesus, when Jesus makes a sacrifice, the goal isn't simply we're forgiven. We get to go to heaven. We're trying to be better people. Those are all good things, but it is so much bigger than that. And this is the piece that we want to cling on to. Because what God did was made it possible for us when we accept Jesus to be adopted as his children. Now, the ancient Hebrews didn't have a word for adoption. They didn't have a process for adoption. It wasn't part of their culture. But Paul is writing to Roman and Greek citizens, and they are very familiar with adoption, but not the way that we see it. So when we talk adoption, we think about kids, right? Infants, toddlers, 9, 10, 11 years old, whatever it is, we think about kids. But in Paul's time, you didn't adopt a kid because kids died. And the reason you adopted someone was to pass on a family name, an inheritance, and a legacy. And so it wasn't all that uncommon for an adult to receive a letter saying, congratulations, you are now part of so-and-so's family. And with that comes their inheritance and a new name and a legacy to pass on to future generations. And so when Paul's audience reads this letter, they read this, they read God who knows us as adults, who knows our sins and our failures and our shortcomings and our past. God knows all of this and sent his son anyway to redeem us. He takes care of it all. He doesn't care that we have a past. He doesn't care that we have failures. He doesn't care that we fall short. God adopts us into his family as we are. Not just forgiven, not just trying to get into heaven, not just taking on the name of Christ when we're called Christians. It is so much more relational than that. That creator-creation relationship, which was broken in Christ, is made whole again. And Paul talks about it like this. In verse 6, he says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. 
So as Paul talks about this relationship between creator and created, the one that he fixed by sending Jesus down here, he says this, he says, you now have a relationship with God and it is father. And that's something we can kind of all get behind, right? It's kind of a formal term. It's that guy kind of just off in the distance who you awe and you respect and you fear just a little bit. That was my church background. So growing up, I had this very formal feeling about God. Jesus was the guy that you could kind of buddy up to, right? He was the one that you could talk to and he loved you and he would hug you. But God, God was the guy on the throne that you went to kind of cowering as you went to talk to him. But Paul says there's another side to it because we are supposed to fear and awe and respect our God. But he says he's also Abba. And so he takes this term that Jesus used in the garden just before he went to the, crucif the crucifixion. And as Jesus was crying out, saying, God, I don't know that I can take this. If there is any other way, let's do it. He uses this term, Abba. And Abba means daddy. Now that's uncomfortable for me. I'll be real honest. I can get behind the respect and the awe and the fear but daddy, when I think of daddy, I think of my son racing around the corner when I come home from a long day of work and throwing himself into my arms and not letting go, daddy, 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 you're home. Or in the middle of the night and he has a bad dream and he wakes up and he cries out, daddy, it's dark and I'm scared. Where are you? And I go in and I hold him until he calms down. Daddy, I scraped my knee Daddy, I can't wait to show you this. Daddy, I'm frustrated. I'm scared. I'm hurt. Daddy, I love you. And as Paul writes about this new relationship we have when we accept Jesus, he says, you get to use this to talk to your father. That's huge. That is really, really big. And here's the reason why. Who do perfect parents compare their kids to? Nobody, right? Now, I'm not a perfect parent. Most of you probably are. I really am not. And every once in a while, I'll say, man, I really wish my kid would do something like somebody else's kid. Um, but let's go back and not look at our children in the state that they're in, but think about them when they're two months old. And they're crying their heads off all the time. And you're not getting any sleep at all. But at two o'clock in the morning, as you hold that month-old or two-month-old baby, and it finally calms down and goes to sleep and leans into you, and there is silence and peace for two minutes in your life, <laughs> who do you compare that baby to? Nobody. That's your baby. That's your child. You don't compare that child to anyone. Who does your perfect heavenly father compare you to? Nobody. There isn't a single soul on this earth that when God looks at you, he says, I wish you were more like them. God compares you to no one. And this is big. Right? He has an individual plan for each and every one of us. 
He sees great potential for each and every one of us. And because of that, he doesn't compare us to anyone else. Not to the guy down the hall in the office, not to your husband or to your wife, not to your brother or sister who always steals the spotlight from you. God only sees you. And it either looks at you as we are broken, as we are hurt, as we are frustrated. God says, I wish that you could see you like I see you. Because God sees so much potential in each and every one of us. He sees the good in us. He sees the worth in us. And so we need to make it a habit to ask God, God, help me see me like you see me. If we can begin to do that, then we can start to get off of this habit of comparing ourselves to the people around us. If God's not comparing us to anyone else, why do we compare ourselves to anyone else? And God says, you're fine because you're mine. He's not gonna leave us like we are, right? We always have room to grow. We always have room to learn, to love more, to accept more, to be more like Jesus. But through all of it, God says, you're okay. I love you. And you are okay because you are mine. As long as we look to the left and to the right, as long as we compare ourselves to the people around us, then that voice in the back of our head saying, I wonder if I'm okay. I wonder if, I wonder, I wonder, is just going to keep talking louder and louder. But if we can believe God when he says, you're fine because you're mine, then that voice begins to quiet down to disappear, to go away altogether, and we can finally find some peace. Proverbs 14, 30, we read this last week. It says, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body, but jealousy is like a cancer in the bones. Now, when we compare ourselves to the people around us, if we cut right down to it and we take away the nice language, it's this. We are being envious of who they are or where they are in life. We are jealous of them. For some reason, be it who they are as a person, what they are able to do, what their family looks like, what their situation looks like, we are envious of something. And the writer says that it's like a cancer inside of us. It's a sickness, a disease that eats us away from the inside. It saps our strength. It takes our life away from us. But if we instead take our cue from the one who made us, the one who redeems us, the one who loves us, the one who made it possible for us to be adopted as his children. And we truly believe that he has fixed that broken relationship and he believes that we are okay, then so should we. Then we can find peace. Because God's estimation of you and God's estimation of me is more important than anyone else's ever. And that includes our own. What God thinks of me is more important than what I think of me. And for our type A personalities out there, that's the hardest one to deal with. We're our worst critics, right? We get done at the end of the day and we say, you know what? I haven't done enough. I haven't accomplished enough. I haven't been good to the right people. 
But if we can get this in our head, that God doesn't compare us and God has an individual plan for each of us, then we can end our day like this. God, today, to the best of my ability, I have been in the center of your will and that is enough. So if we feel like we haven't done enough, if we feel like we haven't been good enough, we need to lean back on that and trust that as long as we are doing our best to do what God is asking us to do, then that is all we need to do. And from that and what God sees in us, that is where we find our worth. And one more time, what does God say? God says, you're fine because you're mine. This is a big, big thought. And it takes a major transition in thinking, what Paul calls a renewing of the mind, to begin to put that into our heads and to actually live that out. This is not an overnight process, but it is something worthwhile. Because for us to be all that we should be, we need to believe what God says about us. And we need to quit looking around at other people for our affirmation. Instead, look to God for it. And God has it all worked out. He has a plan. He has a will. We just need to fall into that. So this morning, we're going to sing one more song. We're going to sing a piece of what we sang earlier today. There's this line out of the song we sang, the riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace, light of the world, forever reign. So worship team, you guys want to come on out and get ready to lead us through this last song. As we sing this, I want you to let those words go through your mind. The riches of your love will always be enough. No matter what, no matter what we come up against, no matter how we feel about ourselves, God's love is enough for us. Nothing compares to what he has for us. What he has for us is so good and is right for you. And what he has is good for you. And what he has is good for you. And what he has for me is good for me. And that's where we need to rest. Let's pray this morning and then we'll sing together. Father God, um, and what a blessing to know that what you have for us in our lives, your will for us, for each and every one of us is what is perfect and right for us. Nothing we can plan, nothing we can compare or prepare for matches up to what you have for us. So Lord, I pray for the strength to lean on that this week, to trust what you say when you say that we are okay because we belong to you. So Father God, make it true in our hearts, make it come alive for us. Let us live it out in Jesus' name, amen. And that is why we do 3G Sunday, because we are for Flagler, and we want to show our community that God is for them as well. On 3G Sunday, we have the incredible opportunity to show our community just a glimpse of God's heart for them. So we are so excited about 3G Sunday happening in two weeks on October 18th. On that day, we are not going to have our regular services here on Sunday morning. We're going to gather together for a short time together at 8.30, and then we're going to go out into the community through 15 different projects and serve. So this is what we need your help with this morning. If you could take your card, it's near your seat. These are the projects that are still available for 3G Sunday. 
And this morning is an opportunity to sign up. You can sign up at the back um, this morning or online this week at theepicchurch.com. Next week is our last week to sign up. So signups are going awesome. We need probably about 100 more people. We have about 200 signed up so far. So if you could help us with us, help us with that, that would be awesome. If you need childcare, we are going to provide childcare nursery through kindergarten. So you can sign up for that in the back as well. And if you've already signed up online and haven't filled out your waivers, if you would swing by our waiver table in the back and take care of that this morning, that would be a big help. Also, we want to have some fun with social media with 3G Sunday. So there is a sticker on your seat. And when you sign up for a project this morning, put on your sticker. And there are some selfie sticks at the back at each of the tables. Take a selfie or a group selfie with your family or friends, whoever you're serving with. And then we'd ask you that you post that today on, at our website, at our Facebook page, actually, and um, hashtag it for Flagler. And then we'll get to see what everybody's signed up for. You can post the picture and the name of the project that you're signing up for. So if you've never taken a selfie, a group selfie, an usy, that's okay. Just go on back. They'll help you. And we're going to have some fun letting our friends know about what's going on with 3G Sunday. Well, welcome to Epic this morning. My name is Sarah Jones, and I have a few more announcements for us this morning. First of all, if you are a guest with us, we are so glad that you're here with us this morning. We would love to meet you personally and answer any questions that you may have. So please swing by our Connection Center on your way out, and we would love to meet you this morning. Well, you guys were incredible this past month with all of the food that you brought in for Flagler families. You brought in over one ton, over 2,000 pounds of food to be distributed to families here in our community. Yes, give yourselves a hand. That is awesome. And the food pantry, Grace Community Food Pantry, right now is serving 82 families or, um, that have, with children that are either homeless or displaced. So that food will go to help those families with food on the weekends. And the amazing thing is, is that over the last three years, you guys have given over 10,000 pounds of food through the food pantry. So let's celebrate that. That's a huge mile marker. So thank you guys. Think of all those families that have um, had food because of your generosity. So thank you so much for that. Well, on October 18th, after 3G Sunday, that evening, we are going to have an epic day at the park. It's going to be a fun time just to hang out together after serving earlier in the day. So plan on grabbing dinner that night, coming out to the park at 5.30, and we'll meet together at Wadsworth Park. Also, on the following Sunday, on October 25th, we are so excited because we are planning a special baptism event. This is our last baptism of 2015, and we want everyone in our church family to be able to experience a baptism together. So that Sunday morning, we are going to have baptism here at Buddy Taylor Middle School for the first time. So if you are, have never been baptized, if you are a Christ follower but have never made that step, if you would go online, find out more of what it means to be baptized, and then sign up, that would be awesome. Also, at Epic, we love to give of our time, talents, and resources to see people's lives change and lead people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. We'll see that in our baptisms. That's what we're all about. So if you would like to partner with us in that, you can give, um, give financially through the giving boxes behind each of the seating sections or online at theepicchurch.com.